0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Welcome to a new month, a new year, and a new decade. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be a better month, a better year, and a better decade than you've ever had in your life. Woo! Ready for Dang it? Yes. You ready yes. for it? Ready for it? And it's all going to start because we're going to learn to wait on God. Mm. Amen? Right? That's hard. That's hard. It's probably the hardest thing in the world, right? Waiting on God. So, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and find the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That's in the Old Testament. Page 746, if that helps you at all. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Begin with verse 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. We find... Uh, Solomon writing uh, his uh, memoirs, if you will, about life. And when he's writing this, he's, uh, he's not very happy with his discovery of life. He's the wisest man ever to have lived and he's probably the wealthiest man to ever have lived and he owned everything and he had like 6,000 wives, 6,000 concubines. The, the man had everything, right? And yet, when he gets to the end of the story, uh, when he's writing this, he's not very happy. look how he says, chapter two, verse 17. Ecclesiastes 2, 17. So I hated life. That's a great way to start an encouraging conversation, isn't it? So I hated life, right? Uh, Solomon had all this wisdom, all the wealth that, that you could imagine, all the women you wanted. He wanted, and, and yet he said, I hated life. I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toil for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. Now, that's true of all of us, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to work your fingers to the bone, and then you're going to die, and somebody's going to fight over whatever you left, right? right? I've noticed that chaos always surrounds death. And it's interesting, it always uh, surrounds the money in death, right? I was at a jewelry store, this was last year sometime, I was at a jewelry store, and this young 20-something-year-old walked in, and he looked like he needed a job uh, badly. And he walked up, and he had some jewelry in his hand, and he looked at the jeweler behind the counter and said, my grandmother died about an hour ago, and I just want to know what this is worth. I almost fell out of my chair. I almost said something. I didn't. I just started praying for him. Oh, my word. An hour ago, what is this worth? And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool man. Who gets it? Yet we have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave it all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. Solomon had kind of narrowed it down to just a couple of things. A man can do no better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Solomon had gotten to the place where he said, you know, just eat and drink, enjoy life, and enjoy your work, because it's all going to be left behind. And then he comes to this great passage that we all know. He says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. So he's giving us some wisdom here. Look what it says. He says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. So there's a 100% chance that if you're born, you're going to die. You get that, right? Right. And so what you do between the time you're born and die is what matters. And we're going to get to that in a minute. What you do with that is what matters. But you are born, you're all here, and you are all going to die. You have a choice of where you live the rest of eternity. You can live it with Jesus in heaven, or you can live it, Satan, in hell. That's your choice. (coughs) There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden of God laid on men. Verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil, This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past into account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring judgment, both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Um, Solomon, as he, as he got to this point, he realized that, that God's in charge. You know, he's, and that everything, God will make everything beautiful in his time. We want everything to be made beautiful now. I want everything to be made beautiful today. You did last week, right? Mm-hmm. And you did the week before, and you did the week before, <laughs> and you did the week before. We, we want it now, but that's not how the world operates. It's not how God operates. We, we operate with this thing on our wrist, right? What time is it? Did the preacher start on time? Is he going to end on time? You know, that's what we look at. It doesn't matter where we go. We, we keep a watch on our, right? You got your phone. You got a watch. Everybody can tell what time it is. God doesn't have a watch. God's arm does not have a wristwatch on it. Einstein and some of those geniuses back in the day said that time doesn't exist. And if we all took our watches off and left our cell phones at home and went to some island, right, some island in the Pacific that was warm, right, and there were no clocks on the island, no cell service, no Wi-Fi, we wouldn't know what time it was, would we? Now, wouldn't that be great, right? We would know when the sun came up. We would know when the sun went down. And that would be it. We wouldn't know what time. How many of you would go crazy? <laughs> right? right? A lot of us would go crazy, right, not knowing what time it was, right? Well, with God, time as we know it doesn't exist. doesn't exist. What we, what we come to is, is a point of waiting on God to make everything beautiful, waiting on God to make sense for us in this life if if he chooses to make sense for us in this life. Or to make sense for us in the next life. We we wait on God. And so we are always waiting. You know, we somebody waited on you to be born. You know. Nine months, eight months, eight and a half months, and then those twelve hours of labor, thirty hours of labor, four days of labor, whatever it was for you. You know, somebody waited for you to be born. And then they waited on you to wake up, I just can't wait for him to wake up. You know, and so you can see the eyes and the and the talking. And then you couldn't wait for him to go to sleep, right? <laughs> Please go to sleep. And then you couldn't wait for him to learn to take a nap, right? You couldn't wait for your nap. And then we waited and waited and waited, and they went to school. And then we waited at the bus stop for him to come home, and hope they had a good report. You know, everything went well. We waited. And then they grew up, and we waited on them to get ready to go to church. Mm-hmm. And they took forever to get ready. We screamed and yelled and you know, got all angry coming to church. Why were you so late? And we waited. And then they got married, and we waited for grandkids, right? right. And then if you have a son, you wait on them to call you after they got married and moved off. And then they still haven't called you, right? Daughters call all the time. Sons, you know, they're they're done, right? We waited on a lot of things. We wait in lines. We wait here. We wait there. There were people in the Bible who waited. Noah waited 120 years for God to do what he said he was going to do. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise that God had promised him. Jacob waited 20 years. Joseph waited 13 years. Moses waited 40 and then had to wait a whole other 40 on top of that. So he waited 80 years, right? David had to wait 12 years before he could take the throne. Jesus, we often say, waited 30 years. You know, he was born at 30 years old. He started his ministry, ministered for about three years. But I would submit he waited at least 6,000 years because he was slain before the foundation of the world as we know it. So he gets the he gets the blue ribbon for waiting the longest. It may be been a lot longer than that, but at least 6,000 years Jesus waited to come to this earth to die for our sins and to rise again and live in our hearts. We wait. You know, there's some things we can learn in waiting, and I want to talk about that this morning. Things we learn in waiting. Solomon painted a picture. He got it. He boiled it all down to this is the bottom line. Eat, drink, enjoy your work, enjoy family and friends, and be good with that. But what does it mean to wait? The first thing is, waiting builds wisdom. Waiting builds wisdom. If you've been waiting for something, there's a situation out here that you've been waiting for. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that situation to resolve itself. Here's the situation. You've been waiting on it, right? Waiting builds wisdom. In the waiting, you're crying out to God, you're talking to him about it, you're Wondering why, you're talking to your friends, you're talking to your neighbors, you're reading the Bible, you're reading some other book. Looking for an answer. Why do I have this situation in my life? And how is it going to be resolved? And you're looking at your watch and you're studying your watch. When's this going to be resolved? Well, there's wisdom that is learned in the waiting. We learn God's ways. Right? We, we learn our own ways. We learn wisdom about ourselves. What is it that's making me? do this here's a great question to ask yourself when you do something that's dumb right and you know it's dumb and everybody around you knows it's dumb ask yourself this question what was I thinking about myself to make me say that or do that what was I thinking about myself to make me say that or do that it's a great question so next time you do or say something dumb just stop and pause and say that was really dumb what was I thinking about myself in that moment to make me respond that way and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. There's wisdom in that. You might find that you're carrying a grudge, some bitterness, some unforgiveness, whatever it may be, uh, some arrogance perhaps, and you're carrying that around inside. And you responded to someone in a dumb way because you were carrying something you didn't need to carry. That's wisdom. Wisdom says, let's don't carry that anymore. Let's put that down. I don't. Res- I don't want to respond to my wife or my husband that way because of something I'm carrying that they had nothing to do with, right? Right? That's wisdom. So, sometimes in the waiting, we, we learn wisdom. The second thing is, sometimes in the waiting, we learn authenticity. Authenticity about ourselves. Who are we really on the inside? Now, we know who we all are when we dressed up to come here this morning. right? We put on our finest. We smiled. and Even if we were fighting in the car before we got here. right? We put our smile on. And we come in and we... But in the waiting, we learn our true authentic self. Who, who am I really the way God made me? Who, who am I really? Not what the world thinks of me, not what m- the TV thinks of me or the Internet thinks of me. Or all my followers on Instagram think of me. Mm-hmm. Right. But who am I really? You see, in the situation that we're waiting on God to resolve, we can learn our truest self. And sometimes learning our truest self is good, sometimes not so good. We find out some things about ourselves we don't really like. Well, you know what you do when you find something inside yourself you don't really like? What do you do with it? You change it. Thank you, Millie. You change it. So okay. I want to change this. I don't like this. And you change it. You make a conscious effort to change. It may take you a week or a year or a decade to change it, but start on the journey to change that. The third thing we learn while we're waiting is we learn intimacy with God. We learn intimacy with God. We learn wisdom. We learn authenticity. But we learn intimacy with God. That's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying, I cried out to God in my situation. And here's what he gave me. And he gave us this great list, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant. God said, Solomon, there's a time for everything. That's great intimacy with God. You see that, right? It's great intimacy here. It's like this this brilliant idea was revealed to him. And it's like, Wow, God, I I think I get that now. There's a time for everything. And it's okay. It's okay if this situation is not resolved in my lifetime. Because there's a time for everything. That's hard for us as humans because we want everything to be resolved because, you know, I can get on my computer and zero point Zero, one second, I can be anywhere around the world answering any question that I have. I can punch my cell phone up and call anybody I want to within two seconds, and they're there. Solomon says, no, that's not how it works. There's a time for everything. And look what it says. I love this verse. It says, he's made everything beautiful in his time, in its time, the way God has it planned. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. I don't know how much more intimate with God you can be than to have eternity set within your heart. He has said eternity in the hearts of men. He has said, I've got this plan for you. It's a relationship with me for all of eternity. And I'm going to let you know that's in your heart. There's a, there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts and we can shove everything we want to in there. We can shove pills or a bottle of alcohol or internet pornography we can just shove a lot of things in that hole but it's never gonna it's never gonna fit it's only gonna hurt but when we take that god-shaped hole and we say god come in and fill that part of my life right then there's fulfillment in life that's what solomon is saying that's what he's saying he's made everything beautiful in his time he has said eternity in my heart you know what you know that every person that's born longs for god and, and they'll try anything to find that God, everything and anything. And many people search in the wrong places. They search in darkness to try to find that God who only dwells in light. Right? But everybody born, everybody born, that's why life is so precious. That's why life in the womb is so precious is because that life is seeking God from the moment of conception because God has placed eternity in that little heart. That's why when people ask me, when little babies, when they pass away as babies, do they go to heaven? Absolutely. Because God has put eternity in their heart. He has set their hearts on eternity. It's only when we get older and and don't have anything to do with God that it becomes a problem. But God has placed eternity in our hearts. He's placed eternity in your hearts. And it says, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Solomon's saying is just so amazing. He's saying, I'm the smartest man on the planet, and I still can't comprehend what God has done for me in my life. I can't comprehend that. The fourth thing, waiting builds wisdom. It builds authenticity. It builds intimacy with God. But lastly, it builds trust. It builds trust. Verse 12, I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. This is a gift from God. It's a gift from God to enjoy eating and drinking and working. That's what he's saying. It's a gift. Look here. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. At some point, we have to learn to trust God. We have to learn to trust God. Have you ever been a part of a exercise where you're at work and they, you get a consultant that comes in and wants to do some team building and they do the trust fall? You know, where you fall backwards and somebody catches you? Well, I'm going to get Milano to come up here and fall backwards on me and I'm going to try to catch. <laughs> Look at him laughing. <laughs> you don't think I can catch you, do you? I know <laughs> uh, You know, you've, uh, you've done the trust thing like that before. Well, Trusting God is the same way. Sometimes you just have to fall backwards mm-hmm. and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I saw a sign in Hobby Lobby the other day. You know the song that came out, Jesus Take the Wheel? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus Take the Wheel, and it's very, very popular. I guess it's still popular today. This sign said, Jesus Take the Keys. Okay. <laughs> Booyah, yeah. right? Yeah. That's awesome. Take the keys. I don't need you to take the wheel. Take the keys for me. That's Trust. Jesus take the wheel, that, that's trust too. But man, giving him the keys, that's, that's real trust. That's real trust. The problem with waiting, the problem with waiting is how we wait. And if you wrote those four things down, it spells the word what? Wait. That's good. And you didn't even write it down. That's impressive, Melanda. It's impressive. Wait. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about waiting. We're not, we're not real good at waiting. We haven't been trained at waiting. So this morning, I want to give you a little training in how to wait. A little training in how to wait. So I need somebody to be God. Carly, you'll be a good God. Come up here. I need you. You're just going to stand here. Just right here, okay? You'll be, you'll be a great God. Just stand here and face that so everybody can see the word God on that poster. Now I need somebody that's a situation. Oh, that's everybody in the building, Right? <laughs> You'll be the situation. I need you to stand here and be the situation, please, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, stand, stand right. Stand right. Stand right. Stand right I'm a situation. I'll do what I want to. It. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dude, she put me in my place. Wow. Boom. Boom. Yeah. So here's, here's how we typically wait on God, right? We're standing in between God, and here's the situation, we're standing between God and the situation, and we're looking at our clock, and we're patting our foot, right? God, when are you going to take care of this situation? God, when are you going to take care of this situation? God, when are you going to take care of this situation? And we moan and groan and wallow around and have a pity party, right? And then we call our friends and moan and groan and roll around the dirt with them, get them involved in it. And then we call Oprah. Or what's the guy that, the other guy that's on TV that does all the stuff? What's his name? Dr. Phil. We call him Dr. Phil, right? We'll call somebody to wall around the ground with us. And, and look at our watch. I can't just believe. I can't believe. But we're standing in between God and the situation. Mm, that's good. When we wait on God, we're in the way of God. Now watch this. You ready for this? This is good stuff. You ready? This is good stuff. God wants us to wait with God. Now, what's in between me and the situation? And what's my vantage point now that I'm at the right hand of the Father? Uh And I can hear what he's (laughs) saying, right? right? And I can hear his thoughts on the situation. Where when I'm standing in the middle, I'm only hearing my thoughts and wondering why God isn't responding, right? And I'm looking at the situation griping and complaining when I'm waiting on him. But when I'm waiting with him everything changes. Isn't that good? God gave me that. That's just precious. God wants us to wait with Him. I I put my watch down when I'm sitting beside God. He ain't wearing no watch. I don't need to wear a watch. He's not patting His foot. I don't need to pat my foot. He's not wringing His hands. I don't need to wring my hands. He's not calling Oprah and Dr. Phil and and, and, and Wayne Roark asking questions, right? 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 He's just... He's just studying the situation. He's, he's got it. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has, he's already made it beautiful. I can't see it. He's already made it beautiful. I might not see it until I get to heaven, but he's already made it beautiful in his time. And he's put eternity in my heart to calm me and to say, Jim, just wait with me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Wow. Okay, God, you can have a seat now. You did a great job. Thank you for taking care of the situation. Isn't that good? So, how do we wait with God? It's a struggle. But at some point, you have to to be where the Bible says you are. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we're seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Learn to see the situation from God's perspective by waiting with God. God, how do you see this situation? What are you really seeing here? Well, Jim, this is what I'm seeing. It'll be hard at first, but try it. So as we begin the new month, new year, new decade, I want us to learn to wait on God, wait for Him to show up, and let Him make everything beautiful in its time. And as the Bible says, He does that so that men will revere Him, so that men will worship Him. And so as you see things in your life become beautiful before God, either here or in the air, just be sure to worship Him. Be sure to worship Him. You know, the Bible tells, Jesus tells a story of the ten lepers that He healed. Nine of them went on their way. One came back and what? And said, thank you. Let's not be like the nine. Let's be like the one. And thank God because God sees the situation. He's not ignorant of the situation. And he's making everything beautiful in his time. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this scripture. Thank you for this truth, Father. Father, help all of us wait on you. Help all of us to wait with you. Father, help all of us to rejoice in you. uh, In what you're doing. So Father, come now and have your way with us. Help us to see our situations from your vantage point. Help us to worship you and just give thanks and rejoice in what you're doing in our lives. Father, come have your way with us. Holy Spirit, just have your way with us this morning. And I pray if we're holding on to something that we need to let go of, that you would help us to do that today at the beginning of the new year. Help us to let go of it. And just leave it with you. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for dying on the cross, coming back to life, and living in us today. For your name we pray. Amen.